to Pop Shield, a long-form discussion podcast about musical topics both past and present. I'm Gabe, and I'm joined as always by Dan. Hello. And Derek. Hello. So, I like to start each episode by asking you guys what you've been listening to lately. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm going to see Boris on Friday, so I've been uh, oh. getting ready, listening to a lot of... Uh, I don't know how to say it, Akuma no Yuta or whatever. The uh, the one that looks like the Nick Drake uh, brighter layer. Okay, uh, okay. You know, it's just such a banging record. I, I love how it's like just too loud at points and like distorting all over the place and stuff. So getting stoked. It is a great one. What about you, Darren? Yeah, uh, you know, I never thought I would be saying this, but I've been listening to the latest Tool record, uh, <laughs> Pure Inoculum. And um, also didn't think I would actually enjoy it, but I am. What year is this? Yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a bet I would have lost because oh, yeah, I also yeah. I also like it. I, and like unironically, I like it. And you're into it, Dan? Yeah, I, I like it, too. I, I'm like shocked. I was ready for it to just be like, a, oh, you know, I'll check it out for old time's sake. But I'm digging it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I won't go on and on, but basically... We did this Tool episode like a couple months ago when the album was first announced, and we kind of, for a lark, decided to revisit, you know, our high school love affair with Tool and Maynard James Keenan, you know, and uh, we had some fun kind of poking fun at Tool and at our former selves, and, but what's weird is if you listen to this new album, um, and I guess we're kind of, I guess, recording on... Uh, we're putting it out in the world that we are listening to an album that's not out yet. I hope that's okay. But anyway, uh, <laughs> way to go. Anyway, um, you know everything that I said in that episode that I actually think is kind of cool about Tool still. They're now like really hammering down on. Don't you guys kind of feel that way? Maybe they listened to the episode, redid the album. They seriously might have. Well, and, uh, yeah. I mean, when we talked about Ten Thousand Days briefly, I think I mentioned that like Maynard was like the worst part of that record, and I feel like they've dialed him back. Oh yeah, right now yeah, yeah he's like lot, sort of barely lot. there. Yeah, it, it just basically addressed every problem I have with Tool in a weird way. But okay, so Neutral Mick Hotel fans do not want to hear us go on and on about Tool. I don't think. <laughs> Let's move on to today's topic. We were actually motivated to discuss Neutral Mick Hotel's 1996 debut LP on Avery Island by a number of semi-recent events. First, our episode on the Olivia Tremor controls black foliage back in March got all of us very interested in revisiting more Elephant Six deep cuts, you could call them. Then Pitchfork treated On Avery Island to a Sunday review this past June. Interesting. And now the band has released digital versions of all of the bonus EPs and singles that were included in their 2011 box set as a pay-what-you-wish download, also known as free. (laughs) Pretty incredible. Uh, At this point, it just feels like the universe wants us to talk about this album. That's how I felt. Of course, On Avery Island is also pretty fascinating in its own right. It's the debut album from a bona fide genius. Nobody would dispute that. And yet the cover art could very easily appear in uh, every dictionary next to the word overshadowed. Indeed, it never really got a fair shake since I'm willing to bet that almost nobody in the whole world started their Neutral Milk Hotel journey here it's probably like under a thousand people or something right so if we can help it and i know we're gonna fail and it's okay if we do but seriously let's try really hard to spend the first half at least of this episode not comparing this record to in the airplane over the sea it's the only time i'm gonna say those words until later on when we actually (laughs) address this um so tell me about your personal histories with on avery island specifically 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely not the first uh, Nutramilcatel record <laughs> uh, that I okay. listened to. I'm not one of those thousand people. Um, but, you know, I fell in love with that uh, second record that we won't name yet. Um, and <laughs> right. then, you know, of course, went backwards and, uh, you know, basically fell in love with that record, too. I've always sort of, uh, you know, there's been points in my life when, you know, maybe I was trying to be a little edgy and I would have said I liked Avery Island uh, more. Oh, wow, um, really? You're one of those people. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, when Definitely I was Definitely under a thousand. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I was trying to be. But um, yeah, I, I, I love it. I'm, I'm a huge Neutral Milk Hotel fan. I'm Behind me is a giant painting of this album. Uh, oh. I have a uh, Jeff Mangum tattoo on my chest. Oh, uh, here we go. So big, big fan. <laughs> Uh, yeah, for me, um, you know, obviously the album that shall not be named was my right. first, uh, <laughs> first experience with Neutral Milk Hotel and <clears throat> it, you know, kind of quickly became an obsession and like any, you know, musical obsession I kind of go through, you, you know, you obviously try to dive into literally anything else that's out there and there wasn't much <laughs> other than, uh, really this record. So, um, right. you know, I got into it, enjoyed it, um, I don't think I ever really felt nearly as moved by this record as, you know, the other one, but we'll get into that. What about you, Gabe? Yeah, I think that um, I've always found this a little, uh, a little strange. You know, I definitely had the same course as you guys, although weirdly, for some reason, I don't, I don't know why, but I ended up going from that one to the Everything Is EP <laughs> and then to this. Um, but, you know, pretty shortly after. I mean, and then I was just kind of like going deep into Elephant Six everywhere I could possibly go. So... For me, it always felt like kind of this little, you know, something that was kind of like a hidden gem of the Elephant Six and not something I thought that much about. So I was actually really interested in giving it, you know, its own episode uh, today. So let's try to describe the sound and the instrumentation. We can get to the, ly- the lyrics a little bit later, but um, how would you describe the overall sound of On Avery Island? I mean, I hate to use the term lo-fi because that's, you know, what sort of everybody associates like Elephant Six and all. And it's like Uh, kind of a shitty term that doesn't really like mean much, but you kind of have to use it here. You know, Um, there's points where like uh, the guitars uh, or the bass are so distorted that it's you you almost can't tell uh, what instrument it is or, or, you know, what notes it's playing. Um, This is just like a super fuzzy record mixed with um uh just regular acoustic songs um and these uh sort of noise collages uh or instrumental passages uh at at least yeah what would you add darren yeah i mean i think i would like kind of overarching i would describe this with like a you know a distorted acoustic guitar like the sound of a distorted acoustic guitar right and then also a recording technique that really doesn't involve like a traditional studio but more like a kitchen or a living room or something like that like i just feel like you can hear what that would sound like you know so kind of like you know your garage bands like what we would might describe as like a lot of soundcloud type of like recordings where people are just doing it on their own like a lot of do-it-yourself sort of stuff um is is how i would sort of describe sort of how the process you know when you listen to this record i think it's very clear that yeah, this isn't like a you know million dollar budgeted uh, sure. type of record. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, like Dan mentioned, you know, fuzzy, you know that that term lo-fi or whatever. But I I think you know a distorted acoustic guitar really kind of defines a lot of this record. What would you add, Gabe? Yeah, I think that's actually the most fascinating thing here. It's not a you know th- when you when you put this record on, I think it kind of strikes me as 
something that kind of fits its era a little bit. It's got this kind of like junkyard, yeah, lo-fi kind of aesthetic. It's got like a shambly quality. You know, you think of people like, you know, the 90s was all about this like Elliot Smith style, like one guy playing almost all the instruments, you know, and you can just really hear that like the drummer is not a drummer and stuff like that or whoever's playing like the, you know, whatever kind of crazy like instruments are on this thing found it in a junkyard or a pawn shop, you know, and has just spent the afternoon toying with it before it's ended up on the record. It's got that kind of spirit to it. But the the most interesting thing that you don't ever hear, I think, is a distorted acoustic guitar, which yeah. is really, really, really strange. And it's like, it's not, it doesn't sound like it's going through a distortion pedal or something like that. It just sounds like, I don't know, it's recorded too loud or something. Yeah, it's like you know? tape or, distortion. Yeah, it was recorded on tape and... um you know, yeah, just way too close to the to the mic or something like that. Um, you know, does that kind of every time I started this record, and it ha- you know, it's especially because of the way it starts. I'm just kind of bowled over by how blown out this sound is, and yet how unique the acoustic emphasis makes it. Do you guys kind of feel the same way? Yeah, I mean, I think that's like what made Nutramoco Hotel special because really, you know who else was doing that you know it, it, it's it's combining like two of the sounds of the uh mid 90s that really just kind of weren't combined uh much before yeah i mean just like what you mentioned like it, who does that I, I just haven't really ever heard anything quite like that and i know you mentioned that it doesn't sound like it's going through a distortion pedal but it sounds like that it's affected a bit to me like rather than just you know a clean acoustic guitar really loud against a mic i feel like there was a deliberate decision to try to, you know, use an acoustic guitar through some sort of distortion rather than just using an electric guitar, which would have right. made sense to other bands of, of the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So no, no electric guitar at all. And just the acoustic guitar, just the, the sound of it gives you the, this kind of like hard strumming that yeah, you just don't yeah. get with like the sort of measly strings on an electric guitar. Um, and so there's just something about that, like chunky, hard playing. And, you know, and yet you're right, Darren, that it's it, it, it's very clearly a choice because it's not like the vocals are, you know, blown out of mm-hmm. the water, you know, and actually there are pretty clean songs here. So to me, that's that's very striking. Now, one thing that's really hard with Neutral Milk Hotel and, you know, just as hard with this album as with the album that we won't talk about yet, <laughs> figuring out like a genre to call this thing. I mean, yeah. Does yeah. it strike you as like a folk record or like I, a psychedelic record or what is this? You know, people like use the term like freak folk a lot, uh-huh. like when when discussing Nutramokotel and like, you know, I, I, that sort of works because it is like, you know, it has a it has that folk element to it. But, you know, I it, it's definitely got like uh, glimmers of psychedelia in it and, you know, just regular indie rock. You know, it's sort of almost uh, defies... Um, classification you know yeah i mean i've always struggled you know if i remember talking about this band to somebody who doesn't know who milk neutral milk hotel is it's close to impossible you know what i mean yeah yeah um in a lot of cases i just change the subject because either (laughs) i recognize that they are going to be interested in this or i'll just kind of know like they're not going to get it you know what i mean um i think folk is about as close as you can get but I, I think that you're obviously robbing it of a, of a lot by just saying, yeah, it's kind of like a folk or freak folk. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's something, there's like a simplicity to it uh, in the sense of like the chords are basically, you know, they're just like a 
you know, to be like a G A D. Like that's a whole, you know, there's something very simple about it, which gives it like, you know, it, it sometimes, um, can even start to sound a little bit like punk, but more like the, um, you know, like alternative eighties, like underground type punk that was like sort of poppy, you know, like the replacements or something like Mm -hmm. that, or like early rem or something where it's got this kind of like or the, or the stuff that would like end up on those like uh what was that uh, compilation like the whatever cs80 compilation or something like that where it's you know f- kind of fun and lighthearted and like jovial um pop but with like a slightly like indie punk kind of edge to it um here's a word would you guys use the word shoegaze hmm. uh i mean i when i think of shoegaze i think of like you know, a really big, like, sort of sound, uh, you know, usually some sort of ambience and whatnot. You don't really, I don't think you get that all that much here, you know, maybe during, like, you know, the beginning of Pre-Sisters or something, but, you know, um, I, like, when you think um, shoegaze, you know, you're you're thinking about, like, oh, man, you know, what kind of guitar pedals were made here? And I never really think about that, you know? You just sort of think of, like, how was the distortion made? You know, I don't think... It doesn't sound off the top of my head like there's, a you know, any sort of delay pedals or, or reverb yeah. or anything going on. I mean, I'm sure there is, but you know what I mean? It's not, like, uh, right in your face. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think I necessarily agree with shoegaze um when i think of neutral milk milk hotel i i often think of like the best band at like a local show you know what i mean like um that they just stand out uh as like a folk act as like an indie act whatever it is but they they have it's not as if they're like so unique that they wouldn't be there with like other bands you know in the mid 90s you know Hmm. what i mean like they're not they they're not quite that far you know what i'm saying yeah i think i do now what I think of a lot is kind of um, the like pre Loveless um, My Bloody Valentine a little bit, especially like the Isn't Anything album, which gets like quite punk and ferocious mm-hmm. at times. Um, but it's it's really rooted in that kind of like sunny, simple indie pop of like the underground 80s or something. And there are points where the, you know, and like we said, it's definitely a choice, but the sort of lo fi, like blown out nature makes everything just blend together i think you mentioned this uh dan where you know you can't really distinguish different things and it gives it kind of a you know like a raw rough version of shoegaze like, i guess um, yeah it does me sort- with your kiss off of isn't anything for example it does sort of build like a wall of sound just like maybe not in a such an intentional way as like my bloody valentine so i guess i can see your point like with that yeah so i mean what I want to do, because we're we're really trying to give this album its due, the due it never really got. Um, and, you know, we're, we're just doing this one album for this whole episode. So I want to dive deeper than we usually do. And I thought of, you kind of alluded to this, Dan, but sort of divvying up the songs uh, by type a little bit. And maybe you disagree with this. Maybe you want to do it a different way. Maybe you even want to do just like every song one by one. But it kind of, you know struck me as there are a couple types of songs here. There's sort of fuzzed out indie pop. Um, there's kind of acoustic-y, mostly acoustic-y stuff. Um, a couple somewhere in between songs. And then the noise freakouts that you alluded to. So let's start with the fuzzed out indie pop songs. Um, I sort of noted Song Against Sex, You've Passed, and Garden Head slash Leave Me Alone. Let's dive into a little bit um, you know, deeper territory on some of these songs. I think 
Song Against Sex is just a like phenomenal opening track here. You guys agree? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was gonna say. It like hooks you know just from that first like little like weird wow 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 guitar noise that happens uh it's it like really hooks you i feel like if you're if you like this song you're gonna like this record <laughs> <laughs> yeah i couldn't agree more um i think it really establishes the sound and the theme of the of the record in such a great way um this is like a go-to song for introducing people to neutral milk hotel to be honest with me yeah i mean so somehow i think that this song works in a almost unique way on this record which is that it sounds like a band you know Mm -hmm. um the truth is that this is almost entirely the product of jeff mangum playing you know a a majority of the instruments and rob schneider of apples and stereo also sort of helping in sort of a producer sense but also playing a lot of stuff and working on horn arrangements stuff like that a couple guest people come in here and there but you know this and I think you hear that, you know, like I was talking about that shambly like quality. Um, this one, I mean, the baseline just kills. I think that the, you know, sort of trombone or whatever horn that is, is like such a brilliant touch. Um, and I think it's a brilliant touch because this song sounds basically as, as blown out as anything on this record. Just so distorted that you can't really distinguish things. And in fact, I think jeff mangum kind of sucks at drums i'll just say right now and <laughs> wow. yet they're so dense in the mix here that you you don't notice like the loose sloppiness to them and it just sort of fits um but there's something about like the way that the horn and his vocal which is honestly very horn like in a lot of ways are just kind of like competing to be heard through the mess you know i think that is just such an awesome balance that's going on here yeah, the, those horns are like such a great addition to Neutral Milk Hotel, like throughout their entire career. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, yeah, it, it which is. ends here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, it just like it's such a strange kind of thing. You know, when you think of like rock bands adding horns, most of the time that is ska <laughs> and it fucking sucks. Yeah. Or, or it's like some really corny thing, you know, but here they're just like just used so perfectly and i think it's because like like you said earlier it's not like they got you know fucking miles davis playing the horn it's it's like it's it's a guy who like you know picked one up at the pawn shop and like is tooled around with it you know a little bit and so it's like that that sort of punk idea but with like a, a such a strange uh unusual instrument in that um in that world and yeah yeah, it it just like gives it gives like their music a sort of like otherworldly uh quality to it i think yeah i mean i just love that about them and like the the whole concept of like the elephant six like if just like literally anybody like they're just a bunch of a group of friends and like hey what can you play you know like oh i you know played trombone in high school or something like that (laughs) and there's like okay we'll come on in and let's just see if we can do something with it and then you know it just turns into a great hook for a song you know what i mean like imagine you know one part of one instrument on this song you know missing and like if the trombone was missing or something like it would be so different you know what i mean like it i love how whatever it gets brought to whatever song including this one it kind of like makes the song in a way you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it, it's uh it's not just uh just thrown in there for no reason like it actually significantly impacts the song i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah, and there's something just like kind of 
there's just like a quality to the horn, which is what I think makes it hard to fit into like most rock music, like you're saying, Dan, which is that it's kind of a silly fucking instrument, you know, to be honest. <laughs> it's like just a silly, weird, like, you know, farty noise almost that it makes. And it's just like, you know, there's something about this song in particular that is just really like sort of fun and joyous and a lot of Nutramic Hotel songs that are really like almost rapturously joyous and um the horn is just perfect for that but also you guys agree with me that it kind of complements his voice because the way he sings is like horn like you know what I'm saying yeah I mean like you said like the horn is sort of like if you pay attention to it it's sort of a, a stupid sounding thing and yeah like his voice is not like what people would traditionally consider a good i see people voice, on like you know? rate your music you know before we do episodes i'm always like sort of looking at what mm-hmm. what the people think on rate your music and there are a lot of comments that were like i just can't get over his voice did either of you guys ever have that problem i didn't I, but also my favorite artist is bob dylan so <laughs> okay i'll okay. never forget the very first time i put on the first song from the record that shall not be named Right. And I, it was you, you recommended it to me, Gabe. And I was like, you were like obsessed with it, whatever. Larry, let me try this out. And I was, I was, I didn't hate his voice, but it was like, it was like off putting. It was like shocking, I guess. You know what I mean? Like I was just didn't expect this type of voice at all. But then I learned, I, you know, I obviously grew to completely like adore it, you know, love it and can't think of anything other than his voice when I listen to Neutral Mug Hotel. But I can understand why people might be a little bit put yeah. off by it at first you know it's a little shrill in yeah. a horn-like way another song that i you know i think is kind of on the same level which i think you know again song against sex is a knockout um another knockout garden head leave me alone oh yeah uh, for me and i think it's working on basically the same level where it's quite um it's really emphasizing the blown out sort of acoustic sound with the fuzz bass um the drums are like buried in the mix in just the right way and then you've got the horns and the sort of really soaring vocals especially on this track kind of competing to be heard i think that's such a like fun um fun dynamic i mean would you guys agree with me about garden head and would you describe these songs as fun and does it feel weird to describe a neutral milk hotel song as fun I I mean, yeah, they sort of have a fun quality to it in like a carnivalesque kind of sounding uh, thing. And, you know, maybe I'm just thinking that because of the cover. But but yeah, I mean, Gardenhead at the at the time when, you know, I would have maybe tried to say this was my favorite record. I think this was my favorite song Um, and it probably Hmm. still is my favorite song on on this record but uh, okay. an- another part that i like about uh about this track it- it's sort of foreshadowing uh how how neutral milk hotel like would kind of always operate uh you know would they would make another record um, oh yeah i don't know what you're talking about yeah because <laughs> i never had this reality they didn't, they didn't, they didn't make, make yeah this is where they stuck <laughs> but uh <laughs> but like it's one verse of it is garden head and then it's another song that like it's just two songs he couldn't finish and he made them one song um yeah which yeah. happens a lot uh in in their career and i like that i mean it's sort of a you know a beatles sort of thing you know they did that a few times when uh uh you know yeah you're right you're right and- i was gonna mention actually that uh a lot of this album um it's got like just this haze of sort of psychedelic noise over it. There are a couple moments specifically that really make me think of like, you know, if the Beatles 
stopped at revolver or something you know like this is kind of you know and then they were teleported to the to the 90s in some sort of time machine um <laughs> if I was just all their money and <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway um yeah you know like so there's that kind of vibe um so how about the um you know i want to talk about the other types of songs but maybe we can jump ahead to these sort of in between songs, the songs that are in between the, the more like somber acoustic type things, okay. and well, these sort can of I, can I ask something real quick? I, wait, I have a question because uh, you, you were talking about like you know are these songs fun, right? And <clears throat> I agree, like some of the songs are fun, but I don't know about you guys, but the majority of my experience with Neutral Milk Hotel has been like very individual, right? Like I like just by myself often listening to it because I find I feel like it's a bit of a weird thing to put on with a group of people unless i know everyone is like a neutral milk hotel fan did That's you guys true. ever even then it that? would be weird right okay i guess i'm not alone in that you know we well, always I talk bet, about like, you know it's it's a weird thing because it's true it's got a very like you know again i, I feel like we're breaking the rules a little bit here but there are certain <laughs> albums certain songs that um you know really they just hit you in this kind of like personal way they give you that kind of there, there are albums like it's just you know beyond this band that do that where it's just like sure smiths or something it just makes me feel like i'm the only person who understands this or something even yeah, though it's yeah, you know yeah. obviously not true but you know dan and i we went and saw a neutral milk hotel when they <sighs> sort of reassembled and toured around for a little bit and it's one of those vibes where everybody in the crowd is shouting mm-hmm. every lyric at the top of their lungs and it's a very communal it, vibe which is weird right that's what i was gonna say i i've seen jeff solo twice and i've seen new Milk hotel three times and yeah every single one of those it was like everyone in the crowd was so excited to be there and shouting every you know lyric they could and yeah it was very like communal and also like um my wife loves neutral Milk hotel so me and her like listen to it a lot together and stuff so i i get what you're saying but yeah i kind of i kind of have the opposite um it kind of gets to work both ways. And, really, and honestly, like, a lot of my friends, like, besides you two, like, one of the only, like, you know, weird bands they know about is Neutral Milk Hotel. So it's sort of the, mm-hmm. the one that, uh, you know, you could talk about without sounding like too much of a weirdo. <laughs> but I, I think, like, maybe what you were almost getting at, Darren, is that, weirdly, Song Against Sex and Gardenhead, um, they feel like kind of fun... Like, I want to be at a rock show jumping around to Song Against Sex. Like, that, like a, a kind of vibe yeah. that's almost unique in the canon here. Would you agree with that, Darren? Yeah, for sure. Those, those songs are the two that come to mind when you mention, like, fun songs and stuff. And I, and I could totally see, <clears throat> you know, like an actual Neutral Milk Hotel show being the perfect place to gather, like, all these, you know, like-minded individuals. You know what I mean? That's, it, it's a unique situation where you just, in everyday life, you just don't really get that. You know what I mean? I've never experienced that, so I guess... The, yeah, the way I'm sort of looking at it is just from like a singular experience. You know what I mean? But the song is still yeah. fun, and I could imagine going to a show and like really enjoying that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and based on what you were saying earlier, you know, these songs in particular give you that vibe of I'm at a local show and I'm having this special moment where I'm hearing something that is completely blowing me away, and I'm the only one in the world who knows it. But right. the ten people here, we're gonna you know jump around and dance our asses off to this like really fun song. So, you know sort of switching gears right um there are these kind of somber songs but they're not really the ballads there's something like this in between i'm going to come back to the ballads but i think of songs like where you'll find me now and naomi as being you know the drums come in and everything but the fuzz is kind of toned down and 
they're basically wonderful songs, but doesn't it strike you guys that the like instrumentation is not really like working for the song um, as much here? It's almost like songs like Song Against Sex are they're using the sort of blown out lo-fi quality to the to, you know, maximum effect. Whereas Naomi and Where You'll Find Me Now, they sound like maybe more like demos or something. Um, well, Where You'll Find Me Now, like, originally wasn't going to be on this record. The label, like, wanted there to be another song. Like, they didn't think it was long enough. Um, and so that's sort of true. Um, I don't, I, I don't really agree as much with that Naomi. I think that's, like, a, a really great uh, song. But I, I don't you feel like the the drums just suck on that song. I don't know why I can't. I'm like so hung up on it. But no, just I like, like you know I like Jeff's drumming. Um, he was the original drummer for Olivia Trimmer Control. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, I like his drumming. I mean, yeah, it's sloppy and it's amateurish. But like, I, you know, I dig that about it. It, it. it I think it goes with the record, and you know, it's got that that punk feel to it. Um, I've never I've never even like thought about having a problem with with the drums on this record. Mm. man don't you agree with me a little bit darren like you know it's it's just like in these other songs they're so buried in the mix but here you just really hear in all of their glory how poorly <laughs> they're played or something yeah i mean i i think that just kind of goes all, along with the you know the theme of it just not really being perfect anything on this record being you know perfectly played or sang or anything you know what i mean but you know i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna be the first here to maybe take a shot, but I'm not a big fan of the song Naomi. Um, really? Why not? I feel like it starts off really well, and what's really strange is like I had this when I came back to this record. I hadn't listened to it in a while. I was like, man, that Naomi song. Can't wait to get to that one. And then when I listened to it, I was just so kind of like over it. Um, it I feel long, like it's I feel maybe. like it's too long. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. like the whole like like just going on and on and on. <laughs> I'm just not. I don't know. Like I know that's like. You know, Jeff does a lot of that, the vocalizing of things like that. But yeah. this is like one that I'm just not, I don't know. It, it, I just feel it like feels it goes a little nowhere, demo-ish. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just doesn't really go anywhere. It feels like it wasn't like fully worked out yet. Um, and have you ever noticed that the like chord progression is basically the same thing as uh, Where Is My Mind by the Pixies? I have not noticed that. Maybe it's just me. Anyway, <laughs> I also feel like, you know, there's kind of these like multiple organ lines going over it and they have that demo first take quality like okay just play it and i'll just kind of like doodle solo around yeah yeah and you know there's something fun and indie about that but sounds like you're not in this uh, not in agreement with us dan that you think this is kind of a highlight of the record naomi i mean i wouldn't call it a highlight i just don't think it's a, a low light either um my <laughs> wife's gonna be pissed if she listens to it. that's her fa- that's her favorite nutrimilk hotel song of all time oh my For god real, yeah <laughs> Uh, I take everything back. Yeah, Andy, it's great. I kind of love it. It just feels like it's not everything it could be. I actually feel this way about a lot of early Nutramilk Hotel. You know, you listen to like the song Engine. It's like so beautiful. And it's like, you know, could you stop with the singing saw shit over this? Are you really really going to shit talk Engine? Yeah. And does does talking about Engine count as uh, talking about the the future record? Uh, Is that after? It's it's during same same sessions okay all right then we're good, we're good. anyway <laughs> it's like a perfect song i feel this way about naomi but it just needed like a little tinkering and i don't know all no, right engine so engine is perfect <laughs> don't is. touch That's don't such talk a about song. engine <laughs> i'll take the uh i'll take that live what's that thing jittery joe's i'll take yeah. that version uh, that is a good version. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 
anyway, okay. So how about the other the other group here, um, or the second to last group here? The sort of mostly acoustic ballads, I call them. So we've got a baby for prey, which is you know almost like a prelude to uh, where you'll find me now. It's like the same song, but it gets fleshed out. Separated by like yeah, separated by something. Uh, one of the noise freakouts we'll talk about in a minute. Three Peaches is quite a somber affair, even though it's got it's not fully acoustic. Only Baby for Pre is fully acoustic, but it's got you know just sort of a minimal. You know, there's no drums on these songs. There's just usually organ or something and acoustic guitar. Clean, usually acoustic guitar. And April Eighth, um, a little more haunting, but also acoustic bass. So, how do you feel about? these songs are they highlights for you or do they kind of stick out in a weird way um i think i think three peaches is a uh, sort of a, a low light on this thank record thank you thank you it's okay it's Preach like it. it's a little too serious um it, you know it's about like jeff's friend tried to commit suicide during a holiday party like in a bathroom and uh it, i don't know it's just like there's no fun did you know did you guys know that uh this girl she actually really did yeah, commit suicide did. in 2005 mm-hmm. oh, wow. uh, so it makes like the you know i'm so happy you didn't die part really i mean just fuck that's uh that's yeah see harsh. you're you're sucking all the fun out of this record <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah we were just talking about how fun it is that's yeah, not yeah. that's not much fun at all um so i think that's sort of a a, a low light a baby for pre i've always like sort of wondered like like you alluded to it's basically the same song um is that on purpose like is it sort of like a prelude or is it like if i put the little noise freak out maybe nobody will notice it's the same chords (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it is a good song you know either way it's it's still good april 8th i like really love that song is like so like sort of spooky sounding it is very um and it's also incredibly easy to play on guitar um yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah what do you make of these songs darren i'm always struck with like it feels so strange that a baby for pre is just a clean acoustic song, you know? Yeah, it is very strange because why, why not? Like, why wouldn't you just use that distorted (laughs) sound that you've kind of established? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that song, I don't really have a problem with, you know, gate or dance sort of talked about three peaches, which is probably the second worst song on the record for me. Um, and I, I agree that it's too serious, but it like, you know, Jeff obviously writes a lot of very serious, dark shit, but usually doesn't sing in a very, like, dark and somber tone as well, you know what I mean? So it's just mm-hmm. kind of, like, double, you know, hitting you over the head with, with just this kind of, like, dredge, right, you know? So, um, April 8th I like, you know, but I guess of these three songs, of this sort of, like, uh, type that you're describing, um, not a huge fan of them. Really? Overall, yeah, I mean, a Baby for I like, but April 8th and, and Three Peaches are, are kind of like the lower points of the album for me. And really with April 8th as well. I think April 8th is the best of these three by far. I agree. Um, it's, I think, absolutely, absolutely haunting. And um, it's, you know, it sounds, it doesn't sound like Neutral Milk Hotel to me, though. Just the, like, the kind of like chord progression or whatever. Like, it just sounds very. Well, this is their only album, so what do you mean? <laughs> well, they have Engine. We, we, we've determined. Well, by yeah, the, that's true. <laughs> in this universe. By yeah. the 11th track, though, I mean, they've established an entire, you know, okay, okay. sound, so, and they just change it suddenly. I mean, I don't know. I, see, I feel that way about A Baby for Pre, that it, it really sticks out in a strange way. I'm just like, why? You know, 
and and that's what strikes you as this album being you know really about uh choices you know so it's like the larger point i'm I'm starting to get at i think is that there are a lot of production choices that i think are fantastic like using this blown out fuzz in the really highlight songs here and then you know that they're choices because some of the songs are completely clean and so for some reason they you know he wanted that sound so then that makes the kind of in-between songs i think a little weird like where you'll find me now and naomi in fact where you'll find me now has sort of a blown out guitar like on you know the left channel and then a completely clean acoustic guitar on the right channel which is an interesting idea layering wise but it just feels like they're you know that gives them that like kind of demo-ish feel because it doesn't feel like the production was like super a choice and you know so anyway the april 8th i think is like the interesting part where there's actually the acoustic which is clean but like played in a very haunting way and it sounds like his vocals have some distortion on them as he really like rises up um in this really haunting kind of way and then there's just like this kind of dark drone underneath and it leads us you know beautifully i think into the last song which is maybe the best representative um of the last type of song that i want to talk about which is the more like noise freakouts okay so i would kind of include someone is waiting here um and maybe we can stop for a minute and talk about this because i think the first three songs here make this amazing little suite of songs we start with song against sex which is quite buoyant and really blown out you've passed gets into this more like you know it transitions you know, seamlessly, of course. And it's got this kind of like Eastern, like meditative, um, you know, getting dronier kind of a vibe, but there's, you know, kind of like a repetitive meditative, like drum line and stuff. And then by the time we get to someone is waiting, which is basically just like a no noise drone song with singing and sort of droning type singing, and then turns into something like a noise freak out at the end. Um, doesn't it just feel like a cool little slide, like from explosive fun like deeper and deeper into just pure drone or something yeah i mean i think like those three songs are like a mini representation of like what the entire album will be uh you know because but then it's so weird right when then then the next song is a baby for pretty the cleanest (laughs) the cleanest one on the record yeah 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 it is that is a little strange i uh like I was reading, like, apparently there was, like, a, a original, like, cassette version of this that, like, Rob and Jeff had made, and they, that was what they gave to the label, and it was in a different order and, like, mixed slightly different, and then the record label huh. wanted them to add uh, some stuff and change the, like, mixing around and all, so I always, like, I've it's never leaked or anything, like, nobody, nobody has it, um, but I always, like, do, you know, sort of, like, wonder, like, is the That's the is the like um the um uh the order of the songs really you know what it should be because like like you say you know the, this this three thing is sort of like a little mini representation of the record but then yeah we go straight into yeah, the cleanest totally you know nicest <laughs> yeah contradictory uh kind of track and i feel i mean do you feel like i do darren that like i'm just so hyped about the first three songs when i put this record on three songs in, i'm like this is a 10 this is a 10 out of 10 because I just love that like slow descent into like, you know, more somber, more meditative, more droney. Um, are you as into that as I am, Darren? I mean, I love those first three tracks. I really, really do. But I don't hate on a baby for pre as much as you guys do. Like, but what I feel, about the transition? Yeah. So I feel like after that third, after someone is waiting, where you are kind of heading towards 
total like noise freak out and you know where are we where are we heading i like the sort of like reset like the sudden hard reset to okay. just jeff and an acoustic guitar you know what i mean um i love i love the sort of larger sound and the band feel and the the noise feel but I love Jeff Mangum with just an acoustic guitar. You know what I mean? Like, I think the decision to do this song with just him and an acoustic guitar, and not add anything to it, I think is smart. Hmm. I mean, something I, they I, might want to consider doing for their next maybe, album. Maybe, a maybe, more. maybe. <laughs> if only, if only they had <laughs> stuck around. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, how about like some of the other noise for us? So, like I said, I include someone is waiting in that because it really just turns. It just descends into like chaos marching theme we get in between you know which what basically works like baby yeah. for prey as like a prelude to the full song which feels like you know more full developed version where you'll find me now separated by this strange marching theme we've got avery island slash april 1st which is like sort of a minimal synth thing also kind of a strange left turn i think and then uh actually let's save the other one but how do you guys feel about those sort of interlude tracks i love marching theme you know that that like yeah yeah it, it i think it like is in a good place on the record I, it's a good breakup of those two songs and it, it like really yeah i've talked about it before i like when a uh, album's cover matches the music it, it you know it like just makes it seem like a, a defined piece of art and i mean marching theme is like what I you know when I hear that song I think of what is on the cover you know this uh this okay. this carnival you know it's a merry-go-round and stuff like it just it just fits that so well and then you know it it's like this weird you know we we've already like earlier in the record you know we've established these horns and like sort of strange in instrumentation in this like indie rock kind of world and then marching theme just sort of like takes that to another level you know it's like I, I feel like outside like if you put the, like a similar sort of song on like some other you know bands records like it could this could be like the corniest thing you've ever heard or something okay. but it like just yeah. works so well here like uh you know he's creating like this this weird like world and i don't know like marching theme um just just really like ties it ties it together i think yeah how do you feel about it darren yeah i really like uh marching theme marching theme you know i kind of to what dan is getting at like i I like when albums sort of include, you know, short instrumentals that sort of tie the theme together, you know what I mean? Or uh -huh. act as a nice little bridge between songs, you know? I think, I think, yeah, as much as I love Jeff's voice, I think instrumental neut neutral milk hotels is really great. In fact, you know, they ought to do it on their next record. Maybe twice. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe twice. <laughs> I don't know. Interesting. Just, just guess it, you know? Yeah. I guess I'm alone then in thinking that this is kind of like a dud that, Ooh. uh, that that kind of hurts the momentum a little bit because I think it's kind of cool that like we're we're back to the fuzz, the flute type sound is here. This is one of those ones that's got that real like tomorrow never knows vibe because it's got this kind of like blipping, yeah, almost bird sound like kind of running over it. Um, and then you know, and it's got that kind of eastern like you know meditative type feel to it, all cool. And then it's like basically on the dots. Like the second that I start to think like, well, this is. This is going on a little long because it really is just it feels like just a loop, essentially. Yeah. Um, and right when I start to tire of it, it stops. I'm like, cool, perfect. And then we get into like just this kind of like rock thing that goes on definitely too long. <laughs> like there's no drums or anything, but it's like a lot of, um, you know, it's, it's what, what is that second part? 
I don't uh, like. Do you actually mean like what's playing? Because I'm not sure. But uh, <laughs> no, I mean just like it's like all of a sudden like like where are like what is going on? Here? I don't know. You, I, you don't feel that way. I, I just it. I think it's just is another layer of like strangeness and. I like it. You know, th- this is sort of the pleb filter song. You know, if you know, may- maybe. <laughs> oh, this one. Yeah, this is the one that uh, plebs can't make it all the way through. Okay, you know, okay. because I I could see somebody being like, oh, you know, baby for pre. The, the lyrics are a little weird, but yeah, you know, I could I could I could dig it. But then you know, you get this weird shit, and you're out of there. It's a real test, you know. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, what do you think about Avery Island, April first? Um, this one. You know, it's it's got like a nice kind of serene quality. It, it almost makes me think of, you know, this, something weird about this record, maybe we can get into it more, is that, you know, you think of Baby for Pretty like a prelude to Where You'll Find Me Now. And then I think of Avery Island April 1st as like something like a coda to that song because it sort of continues like the little, the kind of like serene vibe that, that finished Where You'll Find Me Now. Um, especially when Where You'll Find Me Now kind of finishes with this little like toy piano kind of thing. And um so we lead into like these sort of toy box type of little synth things. And there's like a nice horn layered in there. Um, but it doesn't seem to like do a whole lot. How do you yeah. guys feel about that one? I, I mean, I, in terms of like its placement on the album, I just don't think that it, it works because we just had an instrumental song, you know, right before where you'll find me now. And now yeah, we're getting yeah. another instrumental song. It's like, it's like too soon to like try to settle you down. Like I like, you know, I, I feel like marching theme, even though the latter half gape, I think you're kind of right, it kind of drags a bit, but I think it's it, it's at a good point in the record, you know, for something like that. But to do another one so soon, I just, man, I'm like, I'm like ready to skip over this every time it comes on. Yeah. And it, I'd say like what I was kind of getting at, maybe you agree, Dan, is that it gives like this kind of weird halt to the record, mm-hmm. like this middle section where you're like, okay, baby for pretty. All right. This is really nice, but it ends really quickly. Um, okay, now we're in like this weird interlude thing, marching theme. Okay, oh, I see. So now we're in the full song of Baby for Pretty, Where You'll Find Me Now. Okay, now we're in a uh, coda of Where You'll Find Me Now a little bit. Um, you know, and it's like, it just feels like the record like comes to a complete, like several stumbles in a row, kind of like what Darren was saying. Do you agree with that at all, Dan? Yeah, I mean, of the three, you know, instrumental you know, whatever noise things like this is the one that that's like the least consequential. It it just sort of, it, it, it yeah, it just kind of like, doesn't really like need to be there. It, there's nothing like bad about it. And it's only a minute 48. Um, yeah. but yeah, it just, it does have a little bit of a unnecessary like feeling to it, but I will say that I like, it makes Gardenhead slap a little harder when when it starts, you know, like okay, all right, because you right. bring you know Gardenhead starts like right away with you know the lyrics and everything, and I feel like it, that that's like kind of a cool placement right after uh, Avery Island April first. But on that uh, original like version I told you about, uh, Avery Island April first is the first. It's the intro track, huh. which I think sort of like works better, you know, like if you. I I've, I found the the trackless of it. it. It would go Avery Island into Gardenhead as the beginning of the record, which which Weird. I, I almost kind of like, you know. God, I, I can't imagine really this not starting that. with song against sex. Though. Yeah, yeah. Sheesh, um, boy, it totally sprung on me. I think I have to like totally reassess everything. Um, <laughs> but I want to turn now to like the big the big one, and that's pre-sisters swallowing a donkey's eye which is basically like a 14 minute you know sort of like sound collage drone track that ends this record um 
I was sort of alluding to the fact that April 8th kind of like leads perfectly into this, just this like explosion of noise. And I think in talking about this song, we can also talk a little bit about how the record flows overall simultaneously because it, it's so huge. It gives you the feeling that everything is leading to this. And I actually really like that quality of the album. You know, I don't love marching theme, but I agree with you, Dan, that if it feels like world building, you know, these sort of interlude songs do a mm-hmm. lot to sort of create a wider world. and. A lot of this record like gestures toward that in an interesting way to the point where, you know, you've got like a prelude track and then the full track, you know, returning is interesting, but you've also got like these kind of, you know, dark, like droney noise experiments that it's almost like these fun songs that keep like getting a little bit like too dark and then it kind of like jumps back. And then finally we get so dark in April 8th that we're now like, it's just like the full explosion of the like pure noise that was threatening to take over the album several times. There are points on this record. Like, you know, I think of like the end of Naomi, but, um, you know, also a little bit on the end of, um, three peaches does this a little bit. There are a couple of times, you know, and then like the droniness of someone is waiting. It like almost seems to like, once you're listening to this record the second time, it like, almost hints or like teases you like hey don't forget where we're going we're going toward you know total hell do you guys kind of feel that like it almost like that's gives it a little cohesion yeah that's exactly what i was gonna say about uh about this track yeah it's like the whole time you know we think we're having fun you think we're having a good time but like (laughs) uh really we're heading we're heading towards this you know we're we're heading towards this like ultimate uh sort of realization of the the sounds we've heard um I personally, I, I, I like this song, you know, I know it's, you know, causes a Come lot of on. derision. I mean, I, I, I like drone music. I like weird stuff. Do I listen, you know, if I'm playing this record in the car, do I turn it off? You know, after, after you, you got to get that last note of April 8th is in. Yeah, pre-season. Yeah, so you got to let that, that ring out. But like, yeah, I'll switch it then. You know, I don't listen to it in the car, but on my own and headphones, I, I never, I never skip this song. I, I, I think it like really uh, ties sort of the whole record together. Well, a lot of giggling coming from Darren, yeah, so it sounds like you you don't totally agree. Pleb Absolutely filter. not. This is <laughs> this is awful. I'm sorry. This is as far as Neutral Milk Hotel goes in this record, and you know, <clears throat> this is just so unnecessary. You know, I've listened to this thing, you know, a few times, and just punishing myself. I feel like. Uh-huh checking the time as it continues to yeah go like, god, it sounds still- like it's it ends like a couple yeah. times uh, yeah yeah <laughs> I'm like, oh I my like god that. there's still five more minutes left oh <laughs> yeah god, yeah it's awful. See, it's I, just, well, it, uh, go ahead you're supposed to kind of hate it i think yeah. it's, it's <laughs> well, like nightmarish so. in a way right and it adds like this really cool layer to this album experience again you don't get it the first time but every time after that it's like this dread that hangs over the whole album because you feel like you're getting to this yeah you know where you're going you know you know where you're gonna end up and you're gonna have to sit there you know unless you want to be a pleb and change it like dan you know you're gonna be sitting there for 14 minutes listening to this shit and it kind of gives this quality to the album of like dread that i feel like is really important to the album because like that first little three song suite we were talking about it almost does the pattern in miniature where it like goes from like fun a little mm-hmm. more like a little darker and more meditative and somber and then like kind of pure noise we like really naturally glide into and it's like several points in the record it kind of threatens to do that and then you know boom you got it and i think that's really cool to have a record that like 
haunts you know the last track haunts you the whole time you're listening to it yeah i i I agree have either of you ever heard the like vinyl version of this record uh where pre-sister's only like three uh three minutes and change uh long wow um you know some people prefer that version you know for obvious reasons but i think it loses like you know when you're just having this it, it sort of makes it just into another marching theme sort of uh song instead of like like you said like this thing yeah. that's that's kind of haunting it really robs you. the power yeah it, it, exactly yeah i mean i get why you know they're not gonna make it two discs so they can you know put a noise loop on it for 13 minutes yeah, yeah. but well darren i mean you know we you know we talked about this a lot actually when we talked about the olivia tremor controls black foliage that song bark and below it okay and of course you've got the green typewriter suite on their previous album dusk at cuba's castle where we all kind of agreed that it was like cool conceptually, but not a very fun yeah. listen. That it was like meaningful to the record. And I feel very strongly that this last song here is really meaningful to the concept of the record here. But I agree with you, it's not really fun at all to listen to. Would you at least grant that? I think that the concept, the way you described it, and the way it you know makes itself known throughout the record... Um, I think it's really cool, but I still just, I, I feel like the last half of the record kind of starts to fall apart for me. And then when we okay. get here, I just don't feel like it's earned. You know what I mean? Like uh, <laughs> the way you've described it seems cool, but the reality is you've got a 14 minute track on here at the end of this record that I just feel like doesn't need to be there. And it feels like the record just doesn't end it doesn't have a great ending for me. You know what I mean? And it really makes up a large percentage of a relatively short album. <laughs> right. It does. It's not like, uh, you know, Black Foliage. Um, although on the plus side, it's not, like, it's not like Black Foliage in the sense that, like, you don't have to then, you know, somehow, like, get momentum back to make it through the last, like, third of the thing. Uh, it, it luckily happens at the end. But, um, yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean... Would you go so far as to say what I saw a lot of people on Radio Music saying, that it ruins the album, Darren? That's hard to say. Um, you know, I, I don't want to say it ruins the album, but I feel like it, it hurts it a lot. But I, I don't think it's, it's alone because, you know, I, I mentioned I kind of have problems with like Three Peaches and Naomi's kind of like a weak song for me. Even April 8th huh. is kind of weak. So like I'm describing like the last half of the record pretty much, everything after Garden Head, right? Um, I feel like that's sort of problematic, so I don't think it's just this one song, um, necessarily, but, uh, you know, would, would the record overall be better without it? Absolutely. Hmm. I think it, it works like a sort of, um, <clears throat> you know, we've talked about this a lot when it comes to like experimental or minimalist type pieces and stuff, uh, drone a lot where it's like the size is important, like the intimidation, the punishing factor is really important to how the song works. And I think that gives a lot of weight to the album. At the same time, I want to talk just a little bit about the lyrics in the sense that, you know, the this last song gives some kind of like conceptual weight to the record. And it sort of helps explain for me what the interlude tracks are doing and stuff like that. And yet lyrically, it's a weird album because the songs don't seem to have anything to do with each other really um right and they're really like just about things you know like song against sex is like something like um 
you know, how people, I don't know, use each other. I mean, it's done in like a very cryptic, like Jeff Mangum way, but it's just about that, you know, like you've passed is about his grandmother's death. You know, there's like really literal descriptions like hospital walls and stuff like that. There's stuff like, you know, talking about kids smoking cigarettes in cars, which is like a really just ordinary, like real life thing. April 8th, which I think is so dark and haunting. And, you know, when it talk when you talk about earning that last song, I think it leads so wonderfully into it because it's so dark. We can't have a reset at that point, but it's just about Henry Darger, the painter. And it's cool. It's really nice description, but it like, what is, you know, it doesn't have, there's no concept here when the music is kind of trying to make me feel like there's a concept. You know what I'm saying, Dan? Yeah. I mean, if they were to make another record and it be a uh, concept <laughs> record, um, this this isn't that. But it's sort of like, you know, you can tell like he almost like w- w- wants it to be or like understands that like, yeah. you know, it should be at least like a, a you know, a packaged art piece. Um, and so I think, yeah, those like uh, all those um, instrumental tracks and everything, they tie it all together. And like I said, I think that the... the um pre-sisters yeah, is that you, sort of ultimate uh realization of it i i mean i totally agree but it's like isn't there something weird about it plays like a concept album but it's definitely definitely not like and somehow that i appreciate the effort to make things hang together to make songs flow into each other and echo melodies here and there. there's little hints like april april 1st april 8th yeah you know, no i pre, i yeah. there's pre up here there's pre down here but it <laughs> actually doesn't coalesce in any way yeah no i i i I agree with you. And, and, you know, it's it's like he's fleshing out an idea that, you know, maybe he'll he'll make work a little better later. I can only hope. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I still like I, I appreciate like I feel like when you when you make an album, I, I just I, you know, we, we always talk about it. Like I, I we love like when an album is a full you know piece of art. I, I don't listen to yeah. you know, people always talk like what's the album you'll listen to without skipping a song. If I have to skip a song on a record, I'm not listening to the record, right, you know? Right. I, I want a this full is only thing. Half, this is only half of a full piece of art. Do you know what I'm saying, Darren? Like, don't you feel like the lyrics kind of aren't jiving with the way the music is presented? Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's kind of why this record... <laughs> um, you know, I, I like this record, but I don't really love this record. I'm not, you know, obsessed with this record. But I love, you know, I love Jeff Mangum. I love his, his songwriting style. You know what I mean? But I, I don't think that this record has the qualities that maybe, you know, maybe a, another, if he just gave it another shot, maybe he'd get it right. I don't know. Uh, all right. Just... All right. At this point, maybe we should um, <laughs> kind of start switching there. Um, it's so hard. It's you know, so hard. I'm not but I just feel like there's something strange about how it is both a concept album and not a concept album at the same time. Now, Turning to the album that, again, we were entering a new reality where actually in 1998, they did release a follow-up called In the Airplane Over the Sea. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, widely regarded as, you know, just one of the greatest albums ever made. You know, when you listen to Avery Island, do you recognize, you know, hints at the greatness to come? Of course. You know, I didn't want to say it earlier, but I alluded to it. Like, marching theme. <laughs> like, really... Uh, you know, uh, begets the fool 
and yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. Th- it, it's it's sort of like like i said like, it's like a prototype yeah the, 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 I mean, yeah there, there's a lot of things on avery island that are prototypical of what will come on airplane you know it's like like you said the 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 concept album you know like clearly he has this idea of like making a piece of work and you know we 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 get something that where like the next record the lyrics tie it all together whereas like here musically i think it does play as like one you know piece but yeah the songs are all about different stuff it doesn't really but but yeah. then again is is airplane really it's just is every song just drenched in so much surrealism that you can't tell that they don't really have anything to do with each other you know whereas like well, avery islands i think there's a, a little there's more a straightforward there, I think there's a through line, like both lyrically and musically. And in fact, I think that I get the sense from Avery Island that there is a kind of jerry rigging of a like concept musically, um, where these songs actually don't hang together, but they've been like made to kind of, you know, like flow into each other sometimes, or like kind of titles that hint at each other and stuff, and it like works a little bit, but it just feels like a little bit of a discombobulated mess in the sense of stuff like baby for pre just suddenly being a super clean acoustic song in this fuzzed out thing. It feels like airplane is much more like there is like a consistency to the instrumentation and textures there. Would you kind of agree with that, Darren? Oh yeah. There's definitely more consistency on airplane, but like what you had mentioned before, I mean, I feel like there's, there's hints of it all over this record. You know, I I think, a lot of this record is kind of establishing the sort of sound that becomes the, you know, uh, the through line of like aeroplane, right? Jeff with just a single guitar. You know what I mean? Jeff vocalizing melodies that could otherwise have been performed by an instrument. You know what I mean? Like he does some of that here on Avery Island, but he mm-hmm. really uses it on, you know, aeroplane, like at, at the end of uh, King of Carrot Flowers, right? Um, the, the decision for two headed boy to just be him and a guitar, like, you know, I think you're, you're, he's going through those motions on this record and, and coming away feeling more confident, you know, that I think, you know, you were sort of like talking about a baby for pre just being him and a clean acoustic guitar, you know, I, I like that decision and I'm glad that they, they kind of stick to that. I'm sort of glad they dropped the fuzzy, you know, distorted acoustic for the most part going into like uh, yeah. airplane. I mean, there's a little bit of like Holland 1945 feels like kind of the yeah. I, I the like one it. thing. Yes, I like mm-hmm. it. You know, used sparingly. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, but I think that they sort of discover, you know, And Dan, maybe you can give us a little more history on this. But like, he, you know, he starts like touring with an actual band. Yes, that's mm-hmm. key. I think. And I think Absolutely that that was, key. yeah, that's what really like uh, takes things to a new level. But they still maintain that, you know, you know, fundamentally Jeff and just a, a guitar is really the, the core of Neutral Milk Hotel, you know? Yeah, there's a looseness still on Airplane, but the band like fucking rocks. Oh, like yeah. the drums are just awesome. And I, that's so. So one question I want to ask is like, these hints at the greatness to come. Do you find that they're distracting and kind of make it hard to enjoy on Avery Island? Because when I hear a song like where you'll find me now or Naomi, where I think the drums are just so like weak, all I can think about is like how much better they would be with, I can't remember his name, Jeremy but the guy who drums, Barnes. Jeremy Barnes, who drums on airplane. You kind of know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, obviously Jeremy is a better drummer than Jeff. And, you know, 
I, I get what you mean, but I, I think that like you know it, it works on on Avery. Like I said, you know, I I appreciate the um the, the uh, amateurishness of Mangum's drumming on Avery. Yeah, but yeah, I agree. I mean, Nutramogatel like didn't become the band that everybody thinks of when they think of Nutramogatel until like the recording of Airplane. So. I, and I think it does work better, you know, I, to have this, like, instead of, um, you know, just trading whoever, you know, is around, which there are, you know, additional people on airplane, but, but uh, we've got this, this, this core group that's working together to like make so these songs. Yeah. It, it's strong. I'm sure, you know, they've, they've rehearsed, worked it out. Um, whereas like Avery is, you know, I mean, it's got to be Jeff playing to himself, you know, over, you know, each each yeah, track, yeah. which is harder to, like, make sound like a, uh, you know, like an actual band playing. You know, that, yeah, that yeah. gives it sort of that demo-ish feel, because that, that was the point of, right. like, the Forge, you know, the, the Tascam Porta Studio that all these people use. Like, that was the point of it, was to make demos and then right, use, right. you know, a real band to make them. But all these, you know, people just didn't do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I I like on you know Avery Island, but I, I I'm not gonna lie. I was struggling to not want to just listen to in the aeroplane over the sea. You know yeah, because I mean? you find yourself thinking that you know, mm-hmm. like you, like all I can think about when I'm listening to songs is like, oh, it's, it's it feels like a warm up mm-hmm. for what's you know. I, I can't exactly. listen to marching theme without being like, oh, this is just sort of the warm up for fool. Like it, it makes it very hard to for me to enjoy the album. You agree, Darren? Yeah, it does. I mean, and I. I went and listened in in the aeroplane over the sea just to kind of get my fill on that because you know so much of the record as much as I like it just hints at what's to come and then when you listen to in the aeroplane over the sea it's like you just get this gent like this huge like sigh of relief just like ah like there it is you know what I mean like it's yeah it's perfect yeah. now you know what I mean yeah and let me say like I, I think that fool for some reason is like the key song on airplane. Because it basically sounds like something like a New Orleans, like kind of funeral dirge or something. You know, you can imagine like some weird New Orleans festival where they like, you know, uh, bring the casket through the streets and some like band plays. And there's something about like when I think about those kind of, you know, festivities where it's like joyous, but sad at the same time. And to me, like that is the note that the whole record in the airplane over the sea hits like almost the entire time where it's like, it's so moving because it's like really like rapturously joyous a lot of times and like simultaneously incredibly sad and like moving, um, just like one of these new Orleans funeral things. And so I just think about when I listen to Avery, I'm just like, you know, we're not, maybe there's hints but we're not really close to that kind of like transcendent balance right that he strikes you know yeah but i mean is it really fair you know i mean you you said it when you talked about airplane like airplane is one of the greatest records ever made and i think but it sounds like you're you've been like at points in your life you've been willing to argue that this is like i, I think somewhere close i think at least i, I would still argue that Avery is is genius and a great record. Um but I think anytime I, you know, tried to say it was better in Airplane, I was just being a dick like young young kid, you know. <laughs> okay. right. I, like I, Airplane is unfairly great, you know. And and so I think like a comparing and that then that's I think why 
Avery Island sort of doesn't get a fair shake a lot of times is because it's shadowed by this like fantastic record, you know, like, you know, what what if Dylan only, you know, he did blonde on blonde. That was only his only, you know, 10, 10 record. And then, you you know, it would make, it would make the, the, you know, sort of second tier ones, you know, like uh Nashville skyline or something. You would really just be like, I feel like it would really put a damper on it. You know, I thought about this a lot because I feel like lyrically, I was going to mention that, you know, Mangum is very Dylan-esque to me, where it's just like these like constantly flowing lyrics, mm-hmm. like they just keep going and like piling up. And it's almost like it's just verses on the songs, you know, and um, this like imagery just keeps like spooling out. But, you know, basically their career, it makes me think of like if Dylan had only released his first album, you know, <laughs> Bob Dylan and a Blonde on Blonde, like <laughs> if you had that kind of discography, that's like how big of a jump up. I feel like airplane is from Avery Island. Are, do you guys agree with that at all? I mean, I would argue that that I I like the first Bob Dylan record a lot too. So maybe it is a good uh, it is a good. Um, thing. But like, yeah, but, you would put it in the same ballpark as Blonde on Blonde. No, but again, I think Blonde on Blonde is the greatest album ever made. Um, so it's you know it's like it's just unfairly too great to to even like kind of compare to other records. And and on Avery or in, in the airplane or the sea is like one of those records like you know if i had to pick 10 you know best records ever like airplane would quite possibly you know make that list and so it's just it's just so it's like unfairly so much better but i and i think it's unfair to like now say well that makes on avery island not as good because you know look what look what we could have you know I'm just trying to appreciate the idea because like there's something about avery island that is like uniquely overshadowed it's like I can't even think of, I was trying all week to like think of like another band that has a situation like this. And well, this is such a unique situation. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, what were you going to say, the, the Pitchfork article, uh, the Sunday Review, kind of got me thinking a lot about like, <clears throat> sort of like the what ifs scenarios, right? Because, you know, I guess from what I'm understanding, and Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, basically, you know, Jeff, this album, Aeroplane, got so big and he just was so overwhelmed and kind of like, you know, hit away from the public, public view, whatever. Right. You know, meaning he didn't make any more music basically because of that. Like what if, you know, on Avery Island was like a mega hit or something. And he was like getting all of this like attention and then airplane, like never possibly would not have happened. You know what I mean? Like what, what exactly, you know, how, how does a songwriter go from something like on Avery Island or like the way you described, like the Bob Dylan self-titled to blonde on blonde. Like that's, it's, it's such a huge gap, but I think it has everything to do with like, you know, him, him being allowed to, you know, basically do whatever he wants. Like he doesn't have, you know, it's not like other artists where you have to worry about like literally anything. Like this is just the evolution of what was started on, on Avery Island and these EPs and all the other, you know, neutral Mokotel stuff. Like to me, it, it's great that it happened as fast as it did, I guess, but I, I don't, I don't think that it's like, you know, a massive gap necessarily. Like I can see how okay. you could go from one to the other, I guess is my point. Yeah. I guess for me, it just feels like a stunning leap Wait, and it's just folk. It's just far more focused. Right. I mean, I think you, you, it's a lot more focused, but it's also like just, sh- yeah, just like somehow shooting for the stars because you know, like, the like Avery seems to lack basically a grand concept I think is a big problem that I have with it and I guess it's weird because maybe the only reason I want one is because um 
I know that Airplane exists, you know, and has right. one. And it has like... And Jeff is so it, good at it, yeah. It has an incredible concept, which is basically like, you know, it's not like every song is about Anne Frank all the time, but right. it's like weaving through. And I think that Anne Frank is, you know, for me, just sort of like a... It's something like a metaphor for just kind of like wishing you could save somebody from something horrible, oh, yeah, you know, sure. or something like, sure. you know, it just kind of like works on this like much bigger way. And it, that feeling is like kind of threaded through everything. So Avery Island is like, you know, <laughs> I just kept thinking like, it's so funny. Cause I'm like writing on my notes, like, huh, kind of weird that all the songs are just about things. And then I was thinking, I would never say that about any other album, you know, it's only because I know that airplane exists and I get that it's unfair, but it's such it's like inevitable. I, I physically cannot stop feeling like this is sort of lesser. But it sounds like, Dan, you're able to just sort of enjoy Avery on its own merits. Yeah. And I mean, maybe it's because I've I've listened to both of these records like so many times that, you know, there, there's like nothing, uh, not nothing hidden anymore to them. So, you know, maybe maybe I, I I've just broken past that so much that, you know, like I I you know blew airplane out and i I needed to find something um to, to, to fill yeah, that hole. like maybe, maybe that's you guys it. do you ever like it almost feels laughable but are you ever like i'm in a neutral milk hotel mood but more of an avery mood mm, today never <laughs> honestly like sometimes when i i am like want to listen to neutral milk hotel i frequently listen to that ferris wheel on fire ep because it's oh, yeah, like okay. the one that's only been existed for eight years so i i know it slightly less well um but yeah no i i listen to on avery uh quite a bit um i and frequently i don't you know it's not like oh, i listen to avery now i gotta listen to airplane or vice versa like like this two weeks you know leading up to doing this podcast i purposely didn't listen to airplane so that i could give that fair shake to avery um and you know i didn't have to resist huge temptation or anything yeah i mean i also just um you know i'm just sort of looking over my notes and i think about things like song against sex right like lyrically it, it again i would never put this on any other album if they didn't you know any other artist if they hadn't also released in the airplane over the sea but you know, it's weird that it's it feels a little silly. I, I remember listening to this for the first time and thinking, like, it's strange that it sounds like Jeff Mangum is having fun, you know? And, like, lyrically, that song is kind of like, you know, it's he, he writes, like, wonderfully, I think, in a very Dylan-esque way, especially on this song. But it seems to be, like, about a concentrated topic, which is something like, you know, p- other people using each other. It's horrible when other people use each other or something for sexual whatever power and stuff like that and then i think about you know the first song on airplane king of care flowers part one where it's almost like this impossibly joyous celebration of sex you know it's like almost like the opposite and like everything that sex could be or something but it's just something that i've heard a lot of songs on the topic of song against sex but i've never heard a song really on the topic of king of care flowers part one you know yeah, but again, like that's an unfair shake to On Avery Island because Song Against Sex is like such a good like indie rock song. Like it, it's one of the best indie rock songs. But you're you're yeah, comparing it in kind of like a gem type way, you, you know? know. But then you're comparing like you know the, the think of the Beatles. Like you know, I want to hold your hand. That's a great song. I mean, is it as good as uh you know uh something on you know a day in the life? 
you know like right, no right, right. but is, but is it like oh well i want to hold your hand sucks because dan you know look what they could do like does that make you know that song any any less good yeah you're right you're right i mean i guess i guess i guess that's a good point because it's like the down to earth like i'm so happy you didn't die how could it possibly compare to the genius of semen staining mountaintops? <laughs> oh my God. I guess it's just unfair, but um, no, I just had to make that joke somewhere in the podcast. Um, okay. Well, you know, I think it's endlessly fascinating to compare these things, but Darren, would you say that there's something about Avery that makes it more than just a history lesson? It's not like here, the guy who made in the airplane over the seas first album, because he's a genius and you got to hear that. Um, is there something in its own right that makes this an album worth listening to? Um, you know, I think the production, uh, I think the, the sort of noisier aspects of this record, as you sort of described it, running through it as a, as a theme, I think makes it worth listening to. Certainly if you are a student of the Elephant Six or you're just interested in that kind of collective at all you know like it's certainly not a record that you should just avoid it's not like i would ever say oh just listen to airplanes all you ever need um i think this this on avery island is a bit you know i find it a, you know inspiring in a different way than aeroplane right like i feel like it's one of those records where you feel like man i could i could get my buddies together and and do something like this you know what i mean like this this sounds great it sounds fun like it doesn't sound impossible you know when you think of something like aeroplane you know and you you take your pencil and you're attempting to write lyrics you're immediately going to stop because it's like i i can't i just can't you know what i mean this record makes it feel like yeah it's a little bit easier to do so i can i would recommend this for sure for people to listen to i found it inspiring you know in my youth and when we were like you know doing music and writing music and stuff like that i think this was definitely a fun record to relate to you know yeah do you feel like it like there's something that hurts Avery when most people, I guess every person actually, is listening to In the Airplane Over the Sea first, and you hear like this perfect fully formed thing, and then it's almost like tarnishing, you know, a god or something to hear him like, you know, trying stuff and like kind of working things out a little bit. Like it makes, you know, again, trying to get at this idea of like, why is Avery so overshadowed? Do you think there's any truth to that? I mean, certainly not. I don't think that it's, I think that, I don't think that's fair. You know what I mean? I think it's, it's fascinating to see the record before Aeroplane and kind of see how these ideas were developing. And, and even more fascinating, I find like, uh, that Ferris wheel on fire EP, right? Because listening to some of these, those songs, you can hear lyrics that eventually find their way into Aeroplane, right, but right, listen right. to everything else that's being said and all the other lyrics, you know, like what, you know, it, I don't know. I just found that like really interesting and like kind of changed my perspective on like, wow, how you examine a song that you've written and how it can like transform completely or just one small part of something you've created ends up totally somewhere else. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that was like, I think that's a really important EP to listen to if you're like kind of going through the Neutral Milk Hotel catalog. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah, I can I can get on board with that for sure. Uh, Dan, I, I assume you would say that Avery is a kind of must-hear album. Would you consider it a highlight of the Elephant Six? Like, does it is it like a highlight of the Elephant Six, or is it something that kind of stands out from the Elephant Six? Like, hey, this is just a great album everybody should hear. I, I think it's both. I mean, I, I think it's a like excellent indie rock record on its own right, and then 
when it comes to like elephant six records like yeah this is definitely a top tier you know up there with olivia tremor control yeah a top tier a top yeah i would think that it's in the tier of airplane you know black foliage gay parade and avery island is up in there (laughs) all right okay let's say (laughs) yeah when you mentioned how many i was all right i will put it second tier but it's not you know i mean it's as much as I love the gerbils, you know, it's, 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 it's way better than, you know, are you sleepy or, uh, you know, circulatory system or, or any of that stuff, which is great. But, you know, there, there's a clear step, uh, you know, Mangum is even on, you know, this early record is a step above most of the other people in, in that collective besides maybe, you know, Olivia Trimmer Control early okay. of montreal you know whatever side question actually that i was trying to think of today um would you guys consider like apples and stereos um fun trick noisemaker like top tier or any of their albums top tier Nah, i kind of i they're 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 mid-tier to me uh i i've never gotten like super obsessed with them or or anything they're always like when i'm digging through the e6 you know I'll, I'll make i'll make my way over to them but i i very rarely start there yeah no i don't i've never really been a big apples and stereo fan wow um, yeah i just uh, you know maybe another a story for another time but like i was so put off by like uh the first couple of like other elephants expands i listened to after airplane because i just i guess i was expecting more of yeah airplane like stuff and that's just kind of not what apples and stereo is all about really at all hmm maybe they'll have to be the next uh the next elephant six deep cut then because i think they're quite underrated without being really in the top tier anyway that was just a side question i think to wrap up um first off i want to congratulate everybody i think we did a pretty good job giving giving avery its own big conversation (laughs) um i i really thought that that would just fall apart like almost immediately as we started talking about it but pitchfork notoriously hard asses about anything that indie rock fans love lately uh just like to shit on everything that's special to us they gave us an 8.8 i thought that was like generous for pitchfork but i remember dan you were like feeling a little upset about that score i want to know how you feel about that 8.8 and what you would give avery island well i'd I'd give avery island a a 10 i i I love this record The same <laughs> score as in the airplane. Well, only because the. Wh- all right, I'll give it a nine point nine nine. Wow! I think this is a great record. I I, I absolutely love this record. Um, oh my I, god! Did I you sound like a guy with with Jeff Mangum tattooed on your chest? I don't have Jeff. I don't have Jeff's face tattooed on my chest. Trolling with the beard, the bearded, <laughs> the bearded beard. Well, I had to add the beard after he grew. Yeah, uh, right. right. Uh, but no, I mean, did I expect Pitchfork to give it a ten? Uh, of course not an 8.8 that that's too low i i would they should have given at least a (laughs) 9.5 i don't think so wow um i mean i think that's i honestly think an 8.8 is high okay don't hate me dan Uh, don't don't at me anyone but uh (laughs) i mean i would probably give it like an 8.5 i think that's about about where i'm at what about you gabe yeah, I think it's something like it's got to be in that sort of BNM range. Um, it's if just for the like sort of exciting take, because I think it's it's very rooted in the sort of lo-fi of the 90s um, sound. You know, I thought of people like 
I don't know, Sparkle Horse. We talked about him on our old podcast that came out like maybe just a year book that album we talked about came out like right around the same time. Um, you know, I think of like Beck's Mellow Gold or something. You know, this is like, this is kind of like in the air, but there are certain striking qualities about it that make it feel like a standout, like lo fi album of the 90s. I don't know about like standout album in the history of albums, you know, the way that like something like Airplane is or like a must hear album in general. But it's like if you're interested in 90s lo-fi, certainly if you're interested in Elephant Six, it, then it gets into must-hear territory. So for me, that's something like, a, you know, I'd give it like 8.3 BNM, like something like where it's just in that range of like, hey, you, you know, you ought to stop and check this out. Yeah, man. You know, when, when that <laughs> review came out, I, I, I tweeted, uh, call, essentially calling Pitchfork clowns for giving it such a low score. So you, you two just... Uh, Revealed yourselves as the clowns. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I guess that's enough for uh, this week before you guys uh, clown it up even more. Uh, so what, what do you think? Uh, we'd love to read your thoughts on the air. You can email us, popshieldpod at gmail.com. We got a new episode two weeks. Not sure what we're doing yet. Uh, so tune in and find out. If you like the show, help us out. Subscribe. Leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Stay connected. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that junk is at popshieldpod. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you. So long. Um.